You're a 415er. 415 You're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415 hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. It is the 415ers podcast back again Monday morning after a bye week for the 49ers. We appreciate you tuning in as always. Download, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Five stars are appreciated on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. My name is Evan Giddings and Mark Grandy. How are you doing, sir, after a stress-free football weekend? Well, stress-free from a 49ers perspective, but there was still a lot of weird football going on that had implications for the 49ers. You saw a lot of really good teams lose across the league this week. The Niners, one of six teams on bye. That makes your fantasy football weeks stress-inducing because you have to fill so many open holes on your roster, on your lineup. But yes, no Niner football means it was uh, relatively stress-free, but uh, we'll get right back onto that uh, uh, the stress bandwagon next week and when the Niners take on the Chargers. But yes, a good weekend, just uh, relaxing at home watching some football. Yeah, so I, I guess we can we can start. I, I figured just that with the 10 a.m. games, there were some games that had implications for the, the 49ers. To me, it had to do with the game we talked about at the end of our last episode, which was the Chargers and the Falcons. I was, as a you know, 49ers supporter, rooting for uh, the Chargers, which... Somehow, some way, they pulled out a victory, twenty to seventeen. Uh, it was a classic case of which team wants at least uh, the Chargers and the Falcons. Over the course of the last three years, Mark have been involved in the second and third most most one score games, and both of them mm-hmm. were five hundred. So it felt like coming in, you know, one was going to have to give. And uh, I think the Niners may have also gotten a glimpse as to what could be coming this weekend, which is a team in the Chargers that has a very high ceiling, but is right now really, really banged up, missing a lot of starters on both sides of the football. But they just kind of find a way to hang around until they can grab a lead and maybe grab a win. Uh, so they, they they are five and three team, and that's who is that's who the 49ers are going to be facing this weekend. Yeah, that was a, a an extremely extremely wild game. Um, we we were talking about it a little bit before we before we started recording here. They've what the Chargers have fallen behind by ten points or more at the end of the first quarter in four straight games. Yet they found a way to win three of those four. We've talked a lot about you know the 49ers, how Kyle Shanahan is good early. The Niners play well early. They oftentimes have a lead in the first quarter, and then things kind of maybe fall apart after that. It's kind of the opposite for the Chargers right now. They get off to really slow starts. Their offense can't do anything. Uh, you know, if, if it's a three and out for the first possession for the Chargers, no one is all too surprised because that's just the way it works. They fall behind, but then behind Justin Herbert and, and Austin Eckler, Khalil Mack on the defensive side, they 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 scrap back, they get back, and, and they win on a last-second field goal uh, by what? Cameron Dicker? Dicker the Dicker kicker? Dicker the kicker, yeah. Uh, he, he wins it for the Chargers 20-17. to 17. So the Falcons now 4-5. and five. Uh, I know we'll talk about that Rams-Buccaneers game coming up, but the Buccaneers, because they won, they're 4-5. and five, So there's a tie now atop that division in the NFC. Uh, interesting, interesting matchup there down in Atlanta, considering that the Niners, of course, have those Chargers coming up next. Yeah, the Chargers get that big dicker energy, so you never know <laughs> what's going to be happening. Um, looking around the rest of the league, to me, I, I do want to get to that that Bucks Rams game, but it feels like we might 
Uh, need to spend a few minutes on that. We're yeah. also going to have our midseason awards coming up for the 49ers, as essentially we are to the midway point in the season. The NFL has uh, stripped us of the ability to officially mark a halfway point in the year. So we're going to take this week as that opportunity coming out of the bye. Uh, we're also going to get into sort of a, a league-wide comparison for the 49ers, Mark. But uh, to me, the the Seattle Seahawks and the Arizona Cardinals was the other big game that we are keeping an eye on. And although it was, you know, maybe um, a little bit closer down the stretch than it than it probably was throughout the game, the Seahawks, I thought, relatively handled Arizona uh, on the road, by the way, where Arizona right now is one and four at home. Um, but Seattle advances to six and three. They remain in top of the NFC West. They are a game and a half up on uh, the 49ers right now, stand at four and four. But another 30 point. 30-point performance for a Seahawks team whose offense is right now uh, pretty much led by the dual threat of Geno Smith and Kenneth Walker III. Who knew uh, that the Seahawks team would have such a, a, a commanding ground game as well as quietly a pretty good defense? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was going to mention their defense. It's really turned around of late. They gave up uh, 16 points in that season opening win against the Broncos, then 27 against the 49ers, 27 against the Falcons, 45 against the Lions, 39 against the Saints. First five weeks, defense one of the worst in the league. Since then, though, they've been really good. Nine points in a win against the Cardinals, 23 in a win against the Chargers, 13 in a win against the Giants, and now 21 in a win against the Cardinals. They've won four in a row. They've won five of six. Their defense has turned it around. You mentioned Kenneth Walker, rookie running back from Michigan State. He's been phenomenal, but their their rookie draft class, Evan, has been incredible. I mean, they're two cornerbacks, Kobe Bryant, not that Kobe, spelled C-O-B-Y, a corner from Cincinnati, their fourth-round pick. He's been really good. The fifth-round pick, Tariq Woolen, corner from uh, University of Texas, San Antonio. He's been really good as well. You can make a case that they have four uh, potential players that could win Rookie of the Year awards in the NFL, offensive or defensive. They they've had a fantastic draft. Maybe things will change as as it goes forward, but it looks like they've had the best draft maybe of anyone in the league so far this year. And that's a big reason why they're having this success. So, I mean, I know I've said it on the podcast before, not a believer in the Seattle Seahawks, but you don't take into account what those fourth and fifth round picks could be. And if you hit on them, it can really turn around um, how, how the team looks. And that's certainly the case for Seattle. So I have been impressed with them. I think it also goes to show uh, there's just a mess down in, in Phoenix right now. The Cardinals are struggling. I mean, they scored 21 points, uh, seven of them coming off of a pick six of Geno Smith. Their defense has scored, I think, four defensive touchdowns this year. And yet they're still three and six. Um, the Cardinals, uh, they're bad. I know that they've had success against the 49ers in the past. You know, uh, Kyler Murray tends to make it difficult, but three and six, I have absolutely zero belief in the Arizona Cardinals. And you mentioned uh, it was a 10 point game. The Cardinals did have a lead in the second half, but it never really felt like Seattle was in too much danger of losing that one. Yeah. And, and Seattle was, is a team that look, we were, all completely wrong about and i do think they have this sort of energy of all right everyone wrote us off like still to this to this day i believe the moment of the season <laughs> came on monday night football and geno smith 
spoke into the microphone and said they wrote me off and I didn't write back. That has become the modus operandi for the entire Seahawks season. It's a great line. I, I don't know where he came up with it, uh, but if he wrote that himself, he needs to start putting together pages upon pages of quotes of inspiration because that man has a future uh, in public speaking. Nonetheless, Seattle's a team I, I, I can't write off anymore. Whether or not I like on paper how they look, they play more together than, I mean, maybe just about any team outside of Philadelphia. Um, I mean, they they just, right now, they have a swagger that is pretty contagious. And I, I will be interested as we move into the second half of the year, whether the fact that I'm sure teams coming into games did not expect much from Seattle and their opponents, not to say that anyone overlooks teams in the NFL, but if you're, if you see Seattle on your schedule beginning of the year, based on what happened this offseason, they trade away their franchise quarterback. It looks like they're undergoing another rebuild. They bring in two kind of mid-tier throughout their career quarterbacks to fight it out, and Geno Smith edges out Drew Locke, and then it, of course, turns into the quarterback he's been thus far. But you know, they, you're, you're looking at them at the beginning of the year, and you're just saying, man, that that's, that's an easy W. I know a lot of 49ers fans were doing that in the second week of the season. And it turned out to be that way, but they, ha- they look like a completely different group than the one that came to Levi stadium in week two. Um, so to me, I-, I cannot write them off in any matchup. And that Thursday night football game against the Niners later on this season is yeah. going to be very interesting and potentially uh, indicative of what is going to happen as far as the NFC West and the winner of that division. Cause right now, you, you, I mean, I know the 49ers are in a good spot to, to challenge for the division. Um, but it is no longer a cakewalk, even though the LA Rams have basically floundered. Yeah. December 15th, Niners uh, up in Seattle on Thursday night football. That's week 15. So you have three games after that one, uh, but that's certainly a big one for both the 49ers and the Seahawks. Seattle at six and three, Niners at four and four. Uh, the Seahawks haven't yet had their bye. They play the Buccaneers this coming week. Actually, in Europe, I believe in, in what Munich um, they, they play out there in Europe and then they have a buy after that, after the long travel out to Europe. Um, and then they play the Rams, the Panthers, 49ers, and you get towards the end of the season as well. So uh, certainly going to be a, a big matchup there. I agree with you. Um, the Niners still have it in front of them. They are a game and a half back, only one in the loss column. That's the important column for the 49ers, but there's still so much season. You have a game against them. And you have a relatively favorable schedule coming up. Meanwhile, the Seahawks still have to take on the Rams twice. I know the Rams aren't nearly as good as we thought, but it's not like those are cakewalk games. You travel to the Chiefs. You have the Buccaneers, as we mentioned, technically a home game, but you're playing in Europe. You also have the Jets, who are maybe the surprise of the league along with the Seahawks right now. So not an easy schedule to close the season for the Seahawks. And they do have that cushion right now atop the division, but I, I'm still relatively confident that the Niners have uh, it all within their own power to go out and, and win this uh, win this division with a, with a few more wins down the stretch. So we'll see. Should be a fun battle, but that one was interesting. The other game I wanted to point out, uh, we talked about it a little bit last week. I know we'll get to Rams Buccaneers in a second, but Vikings Commanders. I know Niner fans hoping you know not only can you win your division. Uh, which it seemed like if you do, you'd be the three seed holding out hope. Maybe you could get the two seed. 
The Commanders had a chance to knock off the Vikings and give them their second loss of the season, but the Vikings come through in the end. They score 13 points in the fourth quarter. They win 20-17 to over the Commanders. I will say I'm not sure the Vikings are the best one-loss team ever. Um, they've won some close games. They've been good. They have a, a much improved defense. Kirk Cousins is, is playing efficient football. Justin Jefferson's great. Dalvin Cook is really good. I'm not sure they're quite as good as their 7-1 and one record suggests, but it might get to a point relatively soon where it's just too much ground to make up. So continue keeping an eye on the Vikings. If they drop some games here, which they do have a tougher schedule coming up, that could be something to, to keep an eye on moving forward. Uh, but unfortunately for the 49ers, the commanders could not quite pull it off. No, and that, that was a good game. I think that Washington is a team that gets a little bit overlooked just because of their slow start. But uh, Taylor Heineke is is a decent quarterback. To me, it's more about their defense. And they got Chase Young back this week. They already had one of the best defensive lines in football, led by Jonathan Sweat. So that was not an easy task. And I mean, you just look at Dalvin Cook and his rushing numbers. They were pretty yeah. minuscule against that front. So for Minnesota to go on the road, which is never easy, uh, to walk away with a win that also means a little more to Kirk Cousins, I'm sure, than other people having played there at first. You like um, that. You like that. And then he had another <laughs> viral moment after the game on the plane. And oh, yeah. I, I, I I, am not really sure where Kirk Cousins is as an individual, but he seems to be just wildly all over the spectrum. Uh, for those who didn't see it, he was on the team plane, I can only assume, after the game. He had his shirt off. He had chains on that his teammates had bestowed upon him. And he was uh, he was dancing to some music. He was enjoying the win, Mark. He was enjoying not, not the... just not just uh, any old chains. I mean, he was iced out. I mean, I, that must have been like 20 pounds of stuff hanging around his neck. Yeah. Debo Samuel better have a, a pretty <laughs> damn good looking chain this week. And if the 49ers win, because Kirk Cousins has set the bar very high for postseason victory chains. Yes. Um, yes. I think, and and then you mentioned something that is interesting to me about the Vikings. It, it comes down to their schedule. So to this point, they have played the 26th easiest schedule yeah. in the league. Uh, it doesn't get a ton tougher. I think they'll be about middle of the pack the rest of the way through. But there will be some tests coming up on their schedule. Uh, unfortunately, one of the big ones that everyone looks at in the NFC North is always the Packers. But boy, uh, it looks like Aaron Rodgers and whatever drugs he did in this offseason have had a reverse effect of what he was hoping. And I saw you put out a tweet mark this weekend. Do the do the Packers do you think about benching Aaron Rodgers? I mean, did you watch his three end zone interceptions this week against the worst defense in the league and you score nine points? My, yeah, the the, the second one to me was the worst. That was the fourth down of the goal line where he had he had his guy wide open and he threw Aaron it off Rogers the helmet misses. of the defensive lineman. Uh oh, I th- I wasn't even talking about that one. I was talking the one he just threw straight up to to Hutchinson. Oh he no, just, I, he just... I I think that was that one where he he had his man in the end zone and he just totally undershot it, hit off the the helmet of a defensive lineman. Maybe I'm thinking of the other one. It wasn't like a, a tip there's throw. too many to count. <laughs> it wasn't like a tip throw or it wasn't a leaping defender who got his hands up and knocked it away. The lineman planted on the ground. Rogers, just a bullseye right off his helmet pops up in the air and then it's picked off in the end zone by the lions. I mean, just ridiculous. Yeah. I know in the post game, he did a pretty good job of faking the whole, well, you know, we've been in these situations before, uh, not since 2008. He has not in which they have lost five games in a row. The Packers um, also that, that is just, Right now, a locker room uh, devoid of catching talent and devoid of apparently leadership because Aaron Rodgers has uh, 
I, I, I do not know where that team is at. at also, I, I think I saw that uh, the reports or the MRI or whatever on, on Aaron Jones came back negative. So that's good news. But they also suffered a ton of injuries in that game. I mean, I have Adam Schefter tweet notifications turned on. And I felt like I was getting a notification from him every five minutes about another Packers player that was getting carted off the field. I mean, Romeo Dobbs was Alan Lazard was banged up at one point. I believe they had a couple offensive linemen. John Runyon, I think, got hurt at one point. Aaron Jones. Uh, keep an eye out for those injuries as well, but it's certainly not going to get easier if, if any of those guys miss time. Yeah, no doubt. I uh, want to remind everyone to download, rate, and subscribe to the, to the 415ers podcast coming at you three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Last week was the bye week. This week, we got some football to talk about, so we got a couple of great episodes coming up on Wednesday as well as our preview episode on Friday before the Chargers and the 49ers take on each other on Sunday night football at Levi's Stadium, 520 kick on Sunday. Uh, let, let's, get to, let's get to the big game of the weekend and the one that I, I thought was going to be the best and turned out to be pretty spectacular and that was uh the rams and the buccaneers at raymond james stadium in tampa florida and all right i'm gonna just say it right now mark this is the type of game and a victory for the tampa bay buccaneers who ended up winning 16 to 13 in that game 10 points in the fourth quarter tom brady engineers a 65 yard drive with about 50 seconds left and no timeouts in that game this is the type of win that a guy like Tom Brady and a team like Tampa Bay, who a lot of people have made fun of for reasons not having to do with football, who have been banged up because of injuries and have been really just kicked to the curb, I think, by a lot of people, myself included. This is the type of win that can get that sort of talented team rolling with a ceiling that is playoff bound. Right now, they're they're tied for first in the NFC South, a division up for grabs at four and five. Uh, that is a type of win that even though the Rams are what they are and neither of us, I think, expect them to make the playoffs at this point, that's the type of come from behind win that can spur a dangerous team in the a dangerous team in the NFC that has very few dangerous teams at this point. Even the Eagles are relatively unproven despite having an unbeaten record. I know the 49ers we've talked about have been you know, sort of constructed for the postseason, but they currently stand at 500. Uh, I think it's wide open, and that's a, that was a big win for Tampa Bay. And one of the reasons that I said on Friday that I wanted the Rams to win that game because I didn't expect Tampa to maybe do it in that fashion, uh, but that is definitely a momentum-building type victory. I hear you, and I think all those points are fair. I want to focus more on the Rams. Um, the Los Angeles Rams are just absolutely lifeless. I'm not sure what their issue is, if it's you know a Super Bowl hangover, whatever the case is. It's no excuse. They are terrible. You mentioned they get outscored 10-0 in the fourth quarter. On the season now this year, on the season, the Los Angeles Rams have been outscored 71-10 to in fourth quarters. 71 to 10 in fourth quarters. They fall to three and five. They were up by four points late in the fourth quarter after their defense stood up, forced a fourth and goal, incomplete pass, a turnover on downs. Ball goes back to the Los Angeles Rams with what? One minute and 52 seconds left. They run the ball with Daryl Henderson. No gain. End around to Cooper Cup. Five yards, stays in bounds. The, the, or the Buccaneers calling timeouts. Then facing a third and five with one minute and 39 seconds left. A first down ices the game. They run up the middle to Daryl Henderson. And let me tell you, with the way the Rams have run the ball so far this year, 
they had zero expectation of getting a first down there. Their only goal, take 40 seconds off the clock. I get it. You're, you're, it's 139 left. Tom Brady looks like a shell of himself. You do not want to give the ball back to Tom Brady. Throw the ball, get a first down with Cooper Cup, take knees, win the game, it's over. I do not know what the hell Sean McVay and the Los Angeles Rams are, do, are doing. They deserve to lose that game. They lost to a lifeless Tampa Bay team. To your point, it might wake up Tampa Bay and maybe they start playing better. But this Los Angeles Rams team is just pathetic. They deserve to lose, and I'm not sure how many more times they're going to win the rest of the year. They are terrible. Well put, Mark. Uh, tell me how you really feel. No, I, to, to me, the, the end of that game was more, I understand the the offense couldn't get a first down when they needed to, nor have they been able to get first downs when they needed to in second halves of games all season. Uh, that you can chalk up as the third time that Sean McVay has lost a halftime lead since technically they led by a point. He's 15-3 now at the half. Uh, so at least another head coach got in on the action besides Kyle Shanahan at this point for beating the Rams after trailing at half. To me, it was about the defense on the final drive of the game. Tom Brady has 44 seconds. I understand he's the GOAT. I understand he has done this in his sleep countless times. But you cannot play an average thereabouts of 12 to 15 yards off of wide receivers that are trying to get out of bounds. The first throw... Over the middle, I understand. Scotty Miller hits. He makes a sliding catch. It's a good throw by Tom Brady. You get to the line. You spike it. 28 seconds left. And then from there, they just simply put the ball on the boundaries repeatedly over and over and over again. And there was nothing that the Rams did adjustment-wise to try and take away even a simple seven-yard out. Tom Brady dumping it off. Leonard Fournette gets out of bounds. Darion Kendrick, what do you can can we play up, please? Scotty Miller, 14-yard out route, third and six with 24 seconds left. Kendrick, can you please press a guy once in your life? 19 seconds left. Seven yard out again to Scott Miller. They just ran the same play about four different times, and then including a defensive pass interference in the end zone with 16 seconds left, puts Brady at the one-yard line. I mean, it just, you know, a, a nice little swing route out of the backfield to Otten. I don't know who the hell that is, but with seven seconds left it was good enough to get them the victory the Rams right now do not have any sort of consistency or adjustment on either side of the football they play the game from snap one to snap 60 to snap 100 if they can get there the exact same way and there was no sense of urgency on either side of the football so I'm glad you brought up the offense and how lifeless it has looked I would argue the defensive side which is supposed to be the strength at least star-studded power on that side of the football with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Neither of those guys are playing with any sort of consistency. And I, I might go as far as to say that Aaron Donald, though he still is one of the best defensive linemen in football, looks like a guy that mailed in his retirement papers at the end of last season Ooh. because he is not playing at the exact same level that we've seen him in years prior. That doesn't mean he's not great. That doesn't mean he's not going to return to all pro status, but it does mean right now he is playing, like you mentioned, with a Super Bowl hangover and a guy who said, I might think about hanging my cleats up because I've achieved the ultimate goal. And right now the Rams are just basically running off of fumes. I understand your point. I'm not sure I totally agree with it. I mean, this was a, a Rams defense that kept Tampa to six points through three quarters, and it was just incredibly difficult for Tampa to, to do anything on offense until that last drive. I understand, you know, you 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 just can't give up a touchdown. You have to play defense for 44 seconds. 
and you're unable to do it. They go 60 yards on six plays in 35 seconds without a timeout, and they win just before you know the clock hits zero. I get it. It's a bad drive defensively, but this one for me is is so much more on the offense than it is the defense. Um, watching that game, I thought Aaron Donald was fantastic, but he didn't have much of an impact on that last drive. A big part is because uh, Tom Brady's throwing the ball really quickly after taking those snaps because he has to because there's no time left. Um, the, the defense hasn't been as good as, as it has been in the past. I'll give you that for the Rams. Uh, but this one for me, so much more on the offense and their inability to, to do anything. I know Tampa has a pretty good defense, but they're also injured. Uh, they don't have, you know, their full complement of, of defenders out there either. They have Tampa a really Bay good... also does not have a full complement of offensive linemen. They sure. have also a few weeks ago, put up three points against the Carolina Panthers. They also scored one touchdown against the Pittsburgh Steelers who stunk. Like they, they, they are not an offense that has generated a high amount of points in recent weeks. So yes, I understand that they, I mean, the Rams held them to two field goals in the first half, but this wasn't exactly a Buccaneers group. That's lighting up the scoreboard. Like they did when they won the Super Bowl two years ago. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, bad performances, especially in the fourth quarter by both sides, offense and defense, but defense got enough stops throughout the course of the game to where it, it probably shouldn't have come down to that last drive. The offense is just anywhere capable of putting points on the board. That game would have been over uh, much earlier, but it wasn't. It's why the Rams are a dumpster fire right now, and they do not have many picks to try to turn it around because they mortgaged their future for last season. It paid off for a Super Bowl. I think most you know fans would take that exchange, um, but it just does not look good right now or for the future of the Rams. No, no, it does not. But it brings us to our next point of where the 49ers sort of fall in all of this among uh, week nine around the NFL. And I, I just kind of took a look at the power rankings this morning just to get an idea of where some of the, the experts see the 49ers right now. Uh, on Yahoo Sports and their power rankings, they have the 49ers at eighth right now in the league. Uh, NBC Sports also has them at eight. And then Pro Football Network has them at 11. So around a top 10 team, which I think is is pretty fair. But it's also interesting considering they are the only four-win team in that midst. Uh, there are multiple five-win teams, maybe even a six-win team in, in some of these power rankings that are above the 49ers at this point, um, specifically looking at Miami uh, and the Dolphins, who kind of just eked out a victory against Chicago on an impressive Justin Fields performance this weekend at uh, Soldier Stadium. But I don't know, Mark. I mean, I, I, I think that top 10-ish is, is pretty fair for this team. I do think most of the experts or analysts are projecting the Niners in the top 10 because of where they see them in the future now with Christian McCaffrey and how they looked against the Rams rather than how they looked their first seven weeks. It seems to be more about the ceiling to me than what the Niners are currently. Yeah, I agree. And power rankings are always kind of that balancing act between are you crediting performance up to this point or are you looking ahead and thinking what a team might be and I think it's probably a mix of both and I think to be fair to some other teams who are performing who have performed better you know a team like the New York Giants or the Dallas Cowboys or the New York Jets teams like that who are maybe somewhat surprising at this point of the season they have done more and they deserve potentially to be ranked higher than the 49ers at this moment. But if you are maybe picking for, you know, the rest of the season moving ahead, uh, most people would probably say the 49ers. Like if those teams were to meet 
in a few weeks or, or potentially in a postseason, I think the Niners would probably be favorites, assuming, you know, relative health of both teams. Um, so I think it, it kind of depends how you're defining your rankings. I think, you know, the Seahawks are, are another team who deserve to be in that conversation. Teams that are have succeeded more through the first half of the season than the 49ers, but who you might not consider actually better or who you might not project to be better down the road than the San Francisco 49ers. So you certainly don't want to disrespect other teams like a Minnesota who we've talked about before, who's won seven of their first eight games, but you might you know, question whether or not they're able to beat the 49ers in a head-to-head matchup or in the postseason. So I think right now, Niners top 10 ranking. Um, I think that's around the right spot. I mean, they're a four and four team. They're 500. They've had some really bad losses, including to the Bears, although they seem to be a little bit better than I think people are giving them credit for. Uh, You mentioned that loss against the Dolphins. Justin Fields looks like a different player the last couple of weeks. He's been phenomenal. A loss to the Broncos. They were on a bye as well this week, but they look really bad. Uh, A loss to the Falcons. Uh, You did, you know, you're, you did beat Seattle, who's leading your division right now. You have a couple of other division wins against the Rams. You just can't, you know, put a four and four team, regardless of, of how talented they are, over, you know, a, a six and two Dallas team just because you think they might be better in the future. So power rankings are kind of, you know, that middle ground where you have to take it both into account. And I think anywhere in the top 10, you know, six to six to eight or nine or 10 is probably where the 49ers deserve to be. Yeah, I mean, they also have somewhat of an easier schedule looking ahead. I know that there's a relatively even matchup this weekend with the Chargers, a team that I personally would put behind the Niners uh, if we're doing a power ranking. Uh, they have been involved in a lot of close games that could have gone either way. Chargers might be about, like the hardest yeah. team to rank in football. They, they have a there. negative 22 point differential and are five and three. Uh, how that math adds up, I do not know. <laughs> but... They will get a good look at them this weekend. Uh, the Niners will on Sunday night football. Also that, I mean, the second Seattle game is certainly not looking like a cakewalk. Maybe that week 14 matchup at home with Tampa Bay is not. And then of course that is followed uh, or preceded by, I should say a Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shanahan reunion on December 4th and week 14 at home against Miami. That game is not looking like a cakewalk as well. So it, it is kind of interesting how, you know, depending on what, plays out the rest of this year we're going to look back at some of those losses or wins like you mentioned with seattle in week two i mean even though at the time the expectations for us weren't high of the seahawks now looking back on it that that's a quality victory i mean you didn't allow an offensive touchdown to a team that's currently six and three so i know they're different now and have found more of an identity but i think that is a a pretty interesting pretty interesting way to look at the schedule want to finish, Mark, with our mid-season awards that we want to hand out. And, of course, remind everyone to download, rate, and subscribe to the 415ers podcast each and every week, three times in the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. I'm on social media at eGettings10. Mark is on social at Mark Grandy. Mark with a C, Grandy with an I. Um, I want to go through a couple of different ones, a couple of different awards that we're going to hand out. MVPs, Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the year, and then I have a couple of a uh, cu- couple of hopefully tricky questions, Mark. That should uh, divide some some folks. But I want to mm. start first with uh, the most valuable player on the 49ers. To me, it's it's kind of straightforward. But I'm I'm curious what your supporting argument would be for said player. Straightforward, you say? I I, I mean, I think it is. 
I'm interested what what your pick is because I think you could go a, a few different directions. I mean, you can make the case that the 49ers offense is such a uh, you know a group effort. There's so much talent there that if you it, say it's Kyle of, Shanahan, I swear to God, I, I'm not, not I'm not saying Kyle Shanahan. I think it might. In, I think the way the Niners offense is set up, it you know it it kind of encourages you to maybe look to the defensive side of the ball for you know the most valuable player because there's so many individual players on offense. And I know this is the way that football works, but I think specifically for the 49ers with all the talent they have there, I mean the quarterback position is kind of the de facto MVP. I'm going to steer clear of that you know, for that reason. I also, you know, I'm not sure that Jimmy Garoppolo um, is is worthy of the MVP of this team, despite the fact that he is playing good football. Um, I'm going to go to the defensive side of the ball, and I'm going to I'm gonna select the mainstay. He's played in all eight games. He's been in the middle of everything, and that's Fred Warner for me, leading the team in tackles. He has a sack. He got one last week on Matthew Stafford of the Rams. Uh, he's deflected a number of passes this season for Fred Warner, you got to look past the stats. I mean, he's always there. He's in the middle of everything. He's flying to the ball. He, he can cover some speedy receivers. He was matched up against Cooper cup a few times. Uh, you know, in the Niners last game that it went against the Rams. He can rush the passer. He can stop the run. He's done a bit of everything for the 49ers. And after a bit of a down year last year, Evan, I think he's been phenomenal. So Fred Warner is, is my team MVP. Okay, so maybe it's not as straightforward as I thought. Uh, to me, it, it's pretty clear-cut. It's it's Nick Bosa. Uh, I know that he has missed one game so far this year, but if we're talking about value, if we're talking about what a player brings on a play-by-play basis, and he's been on the field enough for me to confidently say, I know he didn't play against Atlanta. That was a game where they missed him. But uh, Nick Bosa is, is, to me, the best player on this team. He is the most valuable player on this team. Uh, he's tied for first in the league with with eight and a half sacks. He's number one in quarterback hits. He's also top five quietly in tackles for loss. So he's played the run about as well as he's played the pass this season, which, of course, he is um, in a different atmosphere than many other edge defenders. And he's done it all, Mark, in 312 total snaps, which would be 45th among edge defenders so players at his position i know he's had one less game than a few of them but even a guy like um zadarius smith for the minnesota vikings Mm. technically plays outside linebacker but he's also played seven games he also has eight and a half sacks nick bosa has done it in fewer snaps on the field and yet has been just as valuable to this defense um i i just feel like when he is on the field they are a completely different football team. And I know I've said it before, but to me, as much as Kyle Shanahan having a quarterback healthy has aided the 49ers in making deep postseason runs, the presence of Nick Bosa in both 2019 as well as last season compared to 2020 is the reason why the 49ers have competed potentially for Super Bowls. He is that generational talent that right now to me, leads everyone with how he comports himself on the field. He's not really a rah-rah guy, although apparently in pregame speeches, he has kind of come out of his turtle shell. Uh, still hasn't done it with the media as much, but maybe he'll get to that in future years. But to me, Nick Bosa is, I, I think, clearly cut the most valuable player on this team. That's fair. And uh, he's also so great that he managed a half a sack on the bye week. I don't know if you saw that, but the NFL changed the ruling on that Fred Warner sack <laughs> of Matthew Stafford in the second half. And they actually took half a sack away from Fred Warner 
and gave it to Nick Bosa. So they each got a half a sack for that one. So um, Nick Bosa is so good that he gets half a sack without even playing a game. I also do think that because I, I think there's also a, a little bit of, I don't want to say statistician um, help, but with the amount of holding calls that do not mm. go Nick Bosa's way, I think they're starting to even things out as far as giving him some numbers that uh, could be a little more evenly distributed around the team. So I, I haven't heard much about the holding calls this year, but I know that's been a big, uh, big theme of him in, in, in recent years. Um, okay, let's go to, but before we get to the DPOY, cause to me, it's, it's gotta be different than, uh, Warner or, or Bosa in this case, but the offensive player of the year, Mark, I I'm, this to me is where things get a little bit muddled because the offense has had so many different stars and so many different games that it's kind of hard to choose. Um, but I, I'm curious what you think about the 49ers offensive player of the year midway through the season. Yeah, I spent a lot of time thinking about this one. I think you can make the case for a player, you know, a, a wide receiver, a running back, a quarterback. And then you could also maybe make an argument for for a couple of offensive linemen. I think I'm ultimately going to fall back on to the quarterback. Maybe that's a bit of, of a surprise coming from me, but I'm going to pick Jimmy Garoppolo as the team's offensive player of the year. I think considering, considering how the season has gone, uh, it was bumpy at first. That game against you know the Broncos stands out where it was probably the worst game in Jimmy Garoppolo's career. But just the steadying force that he has been for the 49ers. I mean, you lose your starting quarterback for the whole season, and yet you're looking at a 4-4 four and four record into the bye, and ultimately everyone is feeling really good about your team and, and your team's chances to win the division to potentially get a, a second or third seed. Excuse me, a second or third seed in the NFC. And, and maybe make a playoff run. So I think a lot of the credit there goes to Jimmy Garoppolo, kind of his steady leadership. And of course, he's playing good football on the field. I mean, 11 touchdowns, four interceptions. He's throwing for over 240 yards per game to this point in the season, which is a, a pretty big number. And you look at some of the advanced numbers for the 49ers offense, actually a top 10 passing offense and, you know, bottom third in, in terms of rushing. So uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has done a good job considering the expectations, considering everything that happened to their starting quarterback. I think for that reason, he's my offensive player of the year through the midway point. Well, I'm I'm glad, you know, we, we have a chance to give Jimmy G some credit, Mark. I, I know it's <laughs> been uh, a bit a bit seldom throughout this podcast this year, but I'm proud of you for making that your choice. Uh, whereas I have been more of a Jimmy G defender than most, I am actually going to maybe throw a curveball at you. Okay. My offensive player of the year is Brandon Ayuk. I like it. He is the leader on this team as far as wide receivers concerned, receptions, yards, touchdowns. He has been the most consistent receiver over the course of this season. By the end of this year, that will certainly change. But looking at even just the last three weeks, I know two of them have been losses, but more than 80 yards. He's gotten six or more receptions, and he's starting to get more targets too, which which tells me, ironically, when Debo was in the game, he had more targets than he would, than he did when Debo was out against the Rams. But Brandon Ayuk is a player to me that's found him found his role, which is maybe most important uh, on an offense where you have a lot of options to choose from. Of course, Ayuk now with with Debo Kittle and of course Christian McCaffrey being involved. Brandon Ayuk has been a mainstay in this offense throughout the season. And just looking at sort of number two receivers in the league, right now he's about 8.8 .8 yards per target 
that would be better than some other number twos, Mike Williams, Devontae Smith, Tyler Lockett. He has been a more efficient route runner than in any of those three number two receivers on quality teams. Uh, the other thing that I, I didn't really know until I started digging through some numbers here was Ayuk's also been situationally a dependable target, specifically mm-hmm. on third down. His ability to get open on routes deep and in the middle part of the field have been kind of suppressed, I think. But he is a top 10 receiver in situations in which first down receptions on third and seven or longer. So when the 49ers are behind the sticks, when they don't run the ball well early in downs and have needed to be bailed out on third and longs, Brandon Ayuk has been their go-to guy. And that to me is very valuable and why along with the rest of his body of work, having led this receiving core in just about every category, he would be my my pick for offensive player of the year. Yep, I was considering him as well. I think the other main consideration for me was was Jeff Wilson Jr., despite the fact that yeah. he's no longer a 49er. Uh, kind of talked about the steadying impact of Jimmy Garoppolo. I think Jeff Wilson Jr., the same way in the running game. And then I don't, I don't think you can have this conversation without mentioning Trent Williams, despite the fact that he's been injured, which probably takes him out of the running. But you can still see the difference that he makes when he's on versus off the field. So I, I think uh, I like the Ayuk like pick. Certainly uh, been uh, his best uh, first half of a season in his career. And I'm excited to see what he does for the rest of the season. Yeah, me as well. I also do want to shout out uh, George Kittle, who when he's been on the field has played the most snaps of, I think any skill player on the 49ers, whether it be blocking or route running. Uh, so he's been certainly valuable once coming back from that injury at the beginning of this uh, defensive player of the year, Mark, who you got? I know you picked Warner as your MVP. So who does that leave? So I is the rule. I can't pick Warner for defensive player of the year. Oh, I mean, if, if you'd like to, Dick, please explain. I'll, I'll go away from Fred Warner. Since I chose him as MVP, I think his his leadership puts him over the top. But I'll choose your MVP as my defensive player of the year. That's Nick Bosa. I mean, you already made the argument for him. He's been phenomenal. Eight and a half sacks, um, you know, up there with the league leaders and pressures and hurries and quarterback hits and, and sacks. Uh, Nick Bosa is is my guy for defensive player of the year. And no, no. uh it's, it, there's a reason why the 49ers kind of got manhandled on the defensive line by the Atlanta Falcons. It's because Nick Bosa wasn't out there, and that was a big reason why they were able to, one, run all over the 49ers on the ground, and, and Marcus Mariota was kept relatively clean. It's because Nick Bosa wasn't there. So defensive player of the year, Nick Bosa. Right on. Uh, I am going to go with Talanoa Hufanga as my defensive player of the year so far for the 49ers. Uh, I know that that does that means I do not include Fred Warner in any of that, uh, which How is, dare you. is somewhat disrespectful. But to <laughs> me, Talanoa Hufanga has been the most versatile defender for the 49ers this season. And really in his second year has burst onto the scene as a guy who I hope is going to be a part of the 49ers on that side of the ball for a long time. He is their leader in interceptions with three. And so far, is number one, in my opinion, for moment of the season with his pick six on Monday night in week four against the Los Angeles Rams. Even looking back, having done revisionist history, seeing what the Rams have become, to me, that was uh, and still is the moment of the season so far for the 49ers. He is one of two players in the NFL with at least three interceptions, one sack, and six passes defended because they put him all over the field. He has taken snaps, of course, at the free safety or the safety position, but he's also played in the slot. They've put him at corner. 
And they've also blitzed with him where you've seen Hufanga at the defensive line spot a few times throughout this year. So Hufanga has played just about everywhere there is to play on the defense. And some of that is because he roams. But a lot of it is because D'Amico Ryans and that 49ers crew can use him in so many different spots and he can still be impactful despite maybe not playing in his primary position every single snap. He's taken the third most snaps on the team. Fred Warner uh, would be above him along with uh, Tayshawn Gibson, which I think is kind of interesting. But through the first five weeks of the year, Hufanga did not miss a single snap. So he has been on the field just about as much as any player on defense. He has played in more positions than any player on defense, and he's been more impactful as far as the statistics are concerned. And just by the eye test to me, Mark, uh, that's why I would go with the Tongan Tiger as my defensive player of the year so far. Good pick. I like it. Um, I know we're running out of time, so why don't we just get on to rookie of the year? This, I think this one is a relatively easy one, just considering you know what rookies have played and, and haven't played too much for the 49ers so far this year. So I'll just get it off the board quickly. Uh, Spencer Burford, uh, right guard for the 49ers, rookie out of you know, University of Texas, San Antonio, fourth round pick for the 49ers. He is my rookie of the year uh, because he's played the whole season and he hasn't been terrible. I mean, that, that's kind of, you know, what the uh, consideration is when you're when you're talking about uh, offensive or, or just rookie of the years in general. Drake Jackson obviously has played a bunch as well, but I'm going Spencer Burford kind of uh, doing a good job in steadying that offensive line. Yeah, I, I would actually go with Drake Jackson. I, I thought that that was going to be the, the clear-cut option uh, just because of how many injuries the defensive line has sustained and how much he's had to play. I, I know he was more touted than Burford as a second-round pick in the first selection last year's draft by the Niners. Uh, but with three sacks to his name thus far, I think he's put together a pretty solid rookie campaign. Uh, on Along the lines of Burford, I got a couple of quick hitters before we get out of here, Mark. Better first-year offensive lineman. Aaron Banks or Spencer Burford? Mm, so Aaron Banks drafted last year in the second round for the 49ers. First year as a starter, as you mentioned, Burford most recently drafted. I'm going to go Aaron Banks. Uh, he's playing the left guard spot. And I think the reason why is because he's had to play. Or he's had Trent Williams with him for the first few weeks of the season. And then Trent Williams was out and missed a handful of time. And while you could certainly see the offensive line struggle a bit, um, I thought that Aaron Banks did a a relatively good job, uh, you know, keeping that offensive line afloat. And obviously there was help, you know, from other people as well. But without Trent Williams, without that big stalwart to your left, I still think that Aaron Banks has done a good job. So while Burford, I think, has exceeded expectations as a fourth round pick, I think most Niner fans and, and Niners in general have been pleased with what they've seen from Aaron Banks, especially after he was kind of much maligned through his rookie year because he didn't play at all. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Banks has, has stepped up in his first season. Although Burford quietly has been kind of kind of a rock, pardon me, kind of a rock on that right side. Uh, so I, I would go with Banks too. Next question: Bigger acquisition, Charvarius Ward or Christian McCaffrey? It's a tough one. Uh, Charvarius Ward has been phenomenal. He kind of got burned against the Chiefs, his old team. Unfortunate for him. Um, but I'm gonna go with Christian McCaffrey. I think just what he adds to the offense. Oh, now that I think about it, I don't know. They don't have a ton of depth in the defensive secondary. I'll stay McCaffrey. I think what he does on offense and, and the way that uh, he can affect the game in multiple ways on the ground, through the air, and I think his perfect fit with 
quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo is what pushes him over the top for me. So I'll go McCaffrey. I, I would go with Charvarius Ward. I mean, he's obviously he's played more games, but I just think that that was uh, a signing over this offseason that wasn't really talked about a whole lot. I know it was in, in this part of the country, but um, Traverius Ward has been one of the better corners in football, even though the last few weeks haven't been necessarily ideal for him. I just feel like with the identity of this team being on defense, he takes it to a whole nother level, even one different than a couple of years ago in 2019. We've talked about the difference at the corner position. Traverius Ward, to me, is their best man-to-man guy that they have had in quite some time, even though Christian McCaffrey, by the end of this season, will probably be looked at as the bigger acquisition. Uh, should he be able to stay on the field and stay healthy? Last question. This one's a little bit tough, though. The most impactful injury of the first half sustained by the 49ers. There's a lot to choose from. you got to kind of rack your brain and make yeah. note of all the injuries that the Niners have suffered. Um, I think Trent Williams is certainly up there, considering that he, he missed a decent amount of time. Um, I will say, though, because he has come back and and you know he hasn't missed nearly as much time i'm going to go to the defensive side of the ball and say eric armstead uh, i know we've talked a little bit i think it was last week or maybe it was two weeks ago how important he is to stopping the run and the niners have actually struggled to limit the run games of opposing teams so far this year once he gets back i think we'll see that niners defense take another step forward because opponents won't be able to run the ball as much against them so i'm going to say most uh, impactful injury, I guess, in a negative way by having him out. It's Armstead for me. In that case, I'll zig where you zag. I think it is still on the defensive side of the ball, but I think it's Emmanuel Mosley, surprisingly mm. enough, just because of the impact of that injury with him tearing his ACL against Carolina. He'll be out for the rest of the year. It forces more of a shuffle at a position in which the Fortnanders do not have as much depth at corner and I don't think it's surprising that the weeks after against Atlanta, as well as Kansas City, uh, the corner position did not fare as well. Some of that could be due to, of course, the other injuries sustained around uh, the defensive side of the ball on that defensive line. Like you mentioned, Eric Armstead takes them to a different level, especially against the run, as you've laid out throughout um, our episodes this year. But to me, because of the trickle down effect, more so than his actual play, uh, the more impactful injury to me would be Emmanuel Mosley forcing Lenore to the outside. Uh, Ambry Thomas, maybe, and along with you know, Womack having to play that that slot spot. And now Jimmy Ward at the nickel position. They've just had to shuffle around so much because of his absence. Yep, they have. And uh, when Jason Verrett comes back, which could potentially be this week, I think it'll likely slot uh, Lenore back to the, the corner, uh, the nickel corner spot. And I think it'll also see Warner, or pardon me, Ward move back to the his his best safety spot. So interesting to keep an eye on there. Uh, but I agree with you that uh, Mosley injury certainly has had a big impact. All right. And that'll do it for this episode of the 415ers. We'll come at you next on Wednesday morning. Appreciate you tuning in as always. Download, rate, and subscribe to the 415ers. Five stars are appreciated wherever you download your podcast from. As we'll be coming to the end of a couple of days. Mark, I thank you as always for hanging around for a little bit uh, extra this time. Yeah, but it was fun, Evan. Talk to you later. All right. Take it easy, everyone. We'll be back on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs>